Amen. Life Struggles is our series, and I want to talk to you about work. Working to live, but my message really is the curse and the call. The curse and the call. Probably one of the biggest life struggles that my family faces, and really for the last 16 years, Beth and I have faced is, what in the world are we going to eat for dinner? Uh, it seems like you work all week long, and then you get home, and if you're like us, both of us work. And uh, then it's like, well, we forgot to set meat out. So thank God for pressure cookers and then these meal planning things. Because it's like sometimes just planning what to eat is work. You know, it's just like chicken nuggets again, kids, you know. Uh, no, just kidding. But it, it can be. It can be. Eating can be work uh, at our house. So uh, what are we going to make for dinner? Sometimes life uh, can be a rat race. And what does that mean? Rat race, uh, it's like a term that in the 1930s came out was about how a fighter pilot had to follow his uh, uh, training pilot, right, and do loops and twists and curls and all that kind of stuff to follow after him. It was a rat race. And later on, we would uh, write about it in, in different books, but it would be that exhausting, repetitive lifestyle that drains you. It's the constant struggle of trying to get ahead, it's like rats in a maze, trying to find and get to the cheese, and it's like you're running somebody else's, uh, somebody else's running this thing for you, you're just trying to always do it, but it seems like you can never get there. And I don't know about you, but sometimes life feels a lot less uh, than a rat race, it feels a lot more to me, sometimes like I'm a gerbil on a, on a, or a hamster on a hamster wheel, and it's going very, very fast, and it's squeaking louder and louder, and in any minute it's about to come off. Anybody feel like that sometimes? It's just like, uh, I don't know what you're on, but sometimes my weeks are like, oh, okay, I don't know. It's just things just moving, and I'm on it, and if you either cycle that treadmill, if you don't keep up with that treadmill, you're going to end up on the floor, and it's just going gonna, gonna to be here. Monday's coming, no matter if you want it to or not. So how do you balance the work-life uh, balance. How do, you, how do you live in that rhythm in a healthy way? From news and news feeds, money and material possessions, beauty, better bodies, relationships, relaxation, everybody in the world today is chasing after things we know will never satisfy. They're on that wheel chasing after things. They'll never really get what they're looking for. We work long hours to get ahead. Our to-do lists are never done. We've got work and homework and laundry and dishes and yard projects. We fill our evenings then and our weekends with all kinds of hobbies and extracurricular activities, sports and trips and entertainment. We spend a life filling up our houses, then we fill up our closets, and then we fill up our sheds, and then we die, right? That's the American dream. Uh, it's just consume and work and buy and sell and build and take it all in. Live your best life now. You know, we spend our life doing all this thing, running this rat race, and despite all of our best efforts, sometimes we still lose our jobs. We always feel like we never make enough money. Even our family at times can fall apart despite your best effort. Our hearts can still grow heavy, and our souls still grow sick. Life can be painful, even with your best effort. Even in the Christian life, you can get to a place where worship even becomes work. So how do you find yourself? Maybe today you're feeling worn out, weary from trying your very best. Do you ever get exhausted just doing life? Just doing life can be exhausting. Do you often feel empty on the inside? Have you ever gotten to a place where you felt like I've failed to live up to the expectations I had 
for life or felt like this, that you were living with a purpose unfulfilled? Are you tired of never being or doing enough? And do you ever think this, I need to stop living to work, and I need to work on living? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Not just living to work or working to live, but working on living. Look with me in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. I want to talk to you about a curse and a call and what it really means to rest in Jesus. You see, let me give you the background to Genesis chapter 3. This is the curse. You see, God made everything good, and God made man in an intimate relationship with him. He made the earth bountiful and fruitful, and it multiplied, and everything in it was good. And God made man in his image, in his likeness. He made them both male and female. And that meant that God invited man into intimate communion with him beyond all the other animals. It wasn't that God had two arms and two legs, and he was growing bald on the, you know, on the back of his head. That's not what it meant. It meant that God was inviting man into this triune relationship with himself, that God was one, and he was inviting man into that one with him. And so there man was. And God called man to cultivate the ground. He called him to have dominion over everything that creeps and creepy things. And he called him to multiply. And there God put man in a garden. And in that garden, God made fruitful trees. And everything man did, even though man was working, working was Worship In Genesis, when God tells men to cultivate and work, that is the same root word we use for worship. Work was worship because every labor man did was in the labor of God. God had worked all of this out for men's benefit. He put him in the garden and says, this tree you can eat of and everything is going to produce and everything you put your hand to is going to be fruitful and it's always going to reap a big return and everything you do will be blessed. How many want that life? Wouldn't that be great? And then we know this story. God had rested on the seventh day. God stopped working and man's work was to worship, but by satanic temptation, man rebelled. And here's the curse, Genesis 3, 17. And then he said to Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten, somebody say eaten, there, that's, we'll talk about that in a minute, from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you, and toil you will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Here's the consequence of the curse. I love this was one author. He says, this. he says, perfection was replaced with pain. Joyful marriage became an unequal partnership. Happy cultivation became sweaty toil and the beautiful garden became a briar patch. We would work to eat, eat to live, and they would live to die. Whoo! Thanks to Adam and Eve. Great. You just, it's like work, eat, sleep, repeat. That's the rest of your life. And he says, to dust you came, to dust, to dust. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. That's where we get that from. He's like, this is going to be life. It's going to be a cursed call. 
Your calling now is going to be uh, cursed. Your purpose now is going to have pain. Everything that you set your hand to will not be fruitful and multiply. In fact, there's a few specific things I want you to bring out here. Number one was that there was work. It was a cursed cultivation. Work was once worship, but now became toil. In this part of the text, where work was the same root word for worship before, now when he says you shall toil or you shall work, that word is now not worship or it means pain. What was once worship will be painful. What was once work will be painful. You will toil. It's the thorns and the thistles. It says everything that you had set your hand to before was blessed, but now it will be cursed. It will be painful for you through life. Everything that you go through in life will be painful. It even says sweat. I mean, there's a curse. Man, how many know sweat is a curse, right? Uh, it says sweat by the sweat of your brow. You will labor and labor just to eat. Whereas you were eating from my hand everything that I put in this garden. You could just take and pick. Wouldn't that be nice? You just walk out in your backyard. There's just like an olive garden salad, you know, just right there. Just take and eat. But he's like, now you're going to sweat. You're going to work to do this. It's going to be curse cultivation. And then that's the first one. He says, eat then. Eating is what caused the curse. So now eating is part of the curse. And now don't think about that when you go to Golden Corral or somewhere like that. But it is. Eating, he says, what was beneficial and wonderful before, now you're going to put on pounds. No, not really. He says, there's the curse. For the first time, man had to make his own food. He had to plant it. He had to pick it. He had to grind it. He had to roll it. And he had to bake it. It was laborious. It was back-breaking work to make bread. And notice this. For the first time in Scripture, this is where bread is mentioned. It wasn't before. It meant that man went from just eating off the abundance of God to having do, to do life his own way. Scrounging for food, working for food, tilling for food, cultivating it, rolling it, beating it, grinding it, baking it, and then eating it. And guess what? Do it again the next day. Over and over and over again, you had to rely on your own works. Listen to me. It was the work of God before, but now I guess what it's going to be? Your works. And your works will never be enough, and your works will never satisfy, and they will never fill you, and you will do your works and do your works and do your works until you die. And that's the last part. You'll go from dust to dust. It means your body slowly decays into, how many know your bodies wear out when you get older, right? It's like you hit 35 and then everything else is downhill after that. I don't know, that's what I'm feeling right now. They were physically and spiritually separated from God. Life was no longer abundantly supplied in His presence. They, he was cast out, separated from God, and now the wages of sin was death. Romans says, through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin. So death spread like a curse to all men, because all men sinned. And that day ended something. It ended the Sabbath. The Sabbath was when God had rested, but from now on God began to work. God began to work, and I'm going to show this to you in a moment. God began to work. God took a sacrifice. He made the sacrifice Himself. He took Adam and Eve, and He clothed them in the, in the animal skin. He made the sacrifice and toned for their sin, and that put God back to work. God began to lay out a redemptive plan until He would work to get His Son, Jesus, Messiah, onto this cross. He would work every time through David and Jonah and Moses and Elijah and Ezekiel. He would work through all the prophets. He would work through all the children of Israel. He would labor in labor despite all the works of men and the failed works and failed works. And God would keep on working until He could get His Son here, until He could redeem man from the curse. He would even give them the law, the law of sacrifice, the law of the Sabbath. But no man was ever found worthy 
by his own works, and no man found rest for his soul. You notice that since the fall, God has been working and man has been working to get back together to that Sabbath day. You see, Galatians 3.10 says, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law. Thank God that where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Somebody say amen. amen. Let me tell you about Christ's work. So the day came. God sent His Son, born of a virgin, under the law, into the works. And He said uh, that Jesus, this new Adam, came as Son of Man and Son of God. And John says He appeared to destroy the works of the devil. He came to work with His Father. He went to that wilderness where man was cast out to, in a weary land, in a dry and weary, weary land where there is no water, where men were parched for their soul. Jesus was sent to the wilderness of man's sin, just like Moses sent to the wilderness of sin to help men find bread, fresh bread from heaven, help to give them water out of a rock. Jesus, the Word of God, became flesh, and He began to tabernacle amongst us in the middle of our wilderness of sin. And Jesus comes, and it says that He came to cultivate that thorny field. Remember that parable of the sower? He said, I'm coming to the thorny ground. I'm coming to the rocky ground. I'm coming to the ones by the road. I'm coming to the ones even throwing seeds out to those. The devil's going to snatch it up. I'm looking for good soil. We were out there cultivating the ground full of thorns and thistles. We weren't in a fruitful place in our life. Nothing we could do would ever satisfy. Everything we put our hands to never worked despite all the labor and effort we could put into it. Our families fell apart. We got depression, suicide, war, fame and plague, pestilence, divorce, all the evil things of the world. We were doing our best. There's not one perfect nation on this, in this world. There's never been one perfect state of man. We could try for world peace with all that we have within us, and we would continue continually fail to achieve it because our works are in vain. And Jesus comes on the scene and here's what he says in John 5, 70. I love this verse. It says, My Father is working until now and I myself am working. God started working again. Aren't you thankful God started working again? Here's what he did. Christ came to undo the works of the devil and the curse. In Matthew 11, what were those works? He said, the blind, tell John this, the blind are receiving their sight, the lame are walking, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf are hearing, the dead are raised up, the poor are having the gospel preached to them. And everything that Adam undid, Christ came to do. God and Jesus came to work. What was that first work? The first one was this, bread. Man was cursed to eat bread. This was part of the curse. And what did Jesus say? I am the what? Bread of life. He's our daily bread, our manna from heaven in the wilderness. He's the Word of God sufficient to satisfy the hungry. So I hope you're getting this this morning. Jesus undid that curse of bread. You went to go cultivate it, make it, toil it, slip it, roll it, grind it, bake it. He says, I'm that thing. I'm undoing that part of the curse. Number two, sweat. Remember what the Bible says? It was by Adam's sweat he would go through his whole life weary, sweating, working, toiling, tilling. But when Jesus in Luke 22, the Bible says He prayed very fervently, and His what? Sweat became like drops of blood falling upon the ground. Even Jesus fulfilled the curse of our sweat. Number two, three is thorns. It was thorns that would pierce Adam's heads, and we know that it was thorns that would pierce Christ's head. And number four was death. Death came to Adam and dust to dust. And Jesus, the Bible says, He became like Adam, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Surely our griefs He bore then, and our sorrows He carried. 
And he was pierced through our transgressions. And Romans says the death that he died, he died to sin once and what? For all. Somebody say amen. Man, aren't you, he says Christ, Galatians says Christ has redeemed us from the curse, having become the curse himself. That means that what Christ did was fully, completely, wholly done. When he says it was finished, it was the punch out card, man. It was like, it is done. I've been working since Genesis chapter 3 to get these people back to me. I've been laboring not just 8 to 5. I've been laboring every day, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week for thousands of years to get to this point to redeem man fully back. I am the bread. I am the water. I have taken on the thorns and the thistles. I have sweat drops of blood. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are mine. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. He took it fully. And thank God when Adam's body had turned to dust, there, wasn't a, there was a third day and we found Christ's tomb empty. Acts says, God raised him up again, putting to death the agony of death since it was impossible. Somebody say impossible. It was impossible for him to be held in its power. So that's what Paul says in Corinthians. He says, for in Adam all die, but in Christ all who are alive. All will be made alive. This week I've been contemplating this. Do I understand that I am fully redeemed in God? Hebrews says, He offered one sacrifice for sin for all time. And Paul says, he says, Guys, I know you're going to grow weary. You're going to go through life, and you're going to grow weary in this earthly body. We haven't had the fully redeemed body just yet. But you are fully redeemed from the curse of the law and the curse of sin and death. And even if this body is uh, wearing out like a tent on the earth, I know that I've got a new heavenly body, and Christ is fully still redeeming me. And I am in the now and the not yet. And I know now I am fully redeemed by Jesus Christ through faith, who's paid that curse for me. He was the curse, so I could get out of the curse. He took my sin. I gained His righteousness. And now I have a blessed hope. He's coming soon. And I'm not going to turn to dust to dust, ashes to ashes, baby. I'm going up to heaven, getting a new redeemed body. Everything's new in Jesus. This life is only getting better. Everything was getting worse with my own works. But when I come to His work, His work, everything gets better. What does that mean? What does that mean? It doesn't mean you get to quit your job and your responsibilities. It doesn't mean you're not going to sweat and gain a few pounds. But it does mean you can rest. It does mean you can rest. Now, how do you rest? You see, Christ's rest. It's hard to rest when the world is so busy. You're going to still have to work. You've got to buy. You've got to eat. You've got to sleep. You've got to repeat. It's like the shampoo thing. Do it again every day. Repeat. But sometimes you get to a place where you're so busy, so consumed with the toiling and tilling and the thorns and the pain and all your efforts that seem to always be in vain. You're trying to do everything you can just to get through life. And sometimes it's easy to do things like this. Skip my prayer time. Skip my Bible time. Skip being the Christian I know God wants me to be. I watch whatever I want to watch just to get by, just to get it, just take a little edge off, just watch some TV for about seven hours, right? Because <laughs> sometimes maybe that's what it takes, it feels like. You know, go on enough trips and do enough things to pacify. Have enough family time so because life's so short, and I believe in all this, okay? I get it. But then I skip my prayer time. I skip a few church services. I skip reading my Bible. And guess what? I'm weary. 
I'm just as weary as I was. Seven vacations in a row, I'll still be weary. In contrast, some people will fill their schedules with all sorts of religious duties and works and services and efforts, all trying to still be good enough for God. I got to write this, I got to do this, I got to say this, I got to have these many spiritual gifts, I got to fast, I got to pray, I got to be in revival, I got to give more and more money, I've got to earn it, I got to be better, I got to stop doing this, I got to, why am I so, ah, and they just keep working. And every time they fail, guess what? They feel guilty because you're never living up to this expectation of being good enough. Many Christians believe in Christ's work, but they don't understand his rest. Many Christians believe what I just told you, that Christ has redeemed you from the curse by his works. But they don't understand his rest. What is his rest? You see, there was a law of the Sabbath. The Sabbath came before the fall in Genesis. It came before the law with Moses. And with Moses, God put a reminder. Moses, let me tell you about something that I had before Adam ever fell. It's going to be your big four out of ten. Yeah, before murder and adultery, before stealing and coveting, rest. Four. Number four, rest. Take one day in seven to rest in my work, in my labor. Rest in worship with me. You try to work on your own efforts. Let's turn your work into worship on this day. Let's come to a place where you remember that I have a place pre-fall and post-fall. I have a place of rest. I want you to take one day in seven to abide with me and rest in me. Don't do your own things. And Isaiah even 58 says, you should enjoy the Sabbath as a separate holy day to the Lord. And so, so we're New Testament Christians, and even I have been guilty of this in the last uh, two years. I've really tried to cultivate this in my life, that I have often celebrated nine of the Ten Commandments. I still believe you shouldn't murder. I still believe you shouldn't lie. I still believe you shouldn't commit adultery. But why don't I believe in rest? Why don't I believe in Sabbath? Well, Pastor, Jesus fulfilled. Yeah, he did. But he said murder became don't hate, and adultery became don't lust. So what do you think he meant Sabbath became? Oh, it's quiet now. Right? We're not under the law, but we're under the spirit of the law. I'm not under religious legalism, but I still believe in all ten. Come on, somebody. I still believe in all ten. What about number four? You see, why do we only believe in nine of the ten? It comes back to trusting God can do more with less. Jesus said hate is the root of murder and lust is the root of adultery. That must mean faithlessness is the root of a life that becomes too busy for God. I don't trust that God can do more with my six days than I can do with my seven. Ask Hobby Lobby and ask Chick-fil-A if God increased their profits when they shut off Sundays. And he did. They're the fastest growing, largest con uh, uh, retailers in their industry. And they all give up their employees one day of rest. And their profits boomed. Their employees were healthier. Because there's a principle here. Trust God. He can do more with your little. Man, he's a God who multiplies loaves and fishes. Come on. He don't need you to work seven days a week. He can do more with your life than you could ever do. And one day he can multiply. Research even shows, there's some practical sides to this, that people who work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and fill their life with all kinds of media and social media and sports, entertainment, dance, hobbies, fishing, uh, shopping, blah, 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 blah. Guess what happens? More heart disease, more stress, more divorce, more anxiety, more teenage rebellion, more suicide, more depression. 
consuming. Why? Because your work is never sufficient. You can't take enough in to be happy. You can't do enough to feel fulfilled. That's your works. That's the bread. That's the sweat. That's the thorns. That's the thistles. But people who rest in the Lord. There's a rhythm here. Here's some practical advice. Number one is, hey, just learn to say no. Some practical things. Guard your time. Work hard. Remember, money is not everything. Learn to live within your means. Just be, be good about living in your means. Balance your budget. Remove unnecessary subscriptions. Take off time from TV. Just go sit outside and listen to the birds. It's good for you to be outside, to listen, to turn everything off, to unplug. Let go of worldly pursuits. Stop trying to keep up with the Joneses. Find a healthy rhythm. Eat right. Sleep well. Take a day off each week to enjoy time with yourself and your family. Even do things like this. Put order in life's chaos. Practical things like make your bed. Get your clothes out the night before. Iron them. Keep a schedule. Clean your house. Plan your meals. All those things will take that order and that chaos and live in a good, healthy rhythm. But most importantly, keep first things first. How's your prayer time? How's your Bible time? How's your devotional life with the Lord? What's the Holy Spirit been speaking to you lately? Are you going to your local church and serving and worshiping, becoming a giver? You know, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when you begin to give, what did the Bible say? God begins to pour out into your lap a measure that you can't contain, press down, shaking together, it begins to run over. Why? Because you think you can take, 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 and serve me and serve me. That's going to fill you. No. God's kingdom is different. Give God more tithe. Give God your very best. Put first things first. Give God the first hour of your day. Give Him your devotional time. Give Him your very best tithe to Him in all areas of your life and see if He doesn't press it down, shake it together, and run it over. That's kingdom life. Lord of the Sabbath, though, close with this. There's that's the practical. Let me get to the spiritual. The Sabbath has always been more, listen to me, it's always been more than a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week thing. It's always been more than a 24-hour literal time frame. In the beginning, God was resting with man in an eternal day. And that day was an eternal day with Adam. And that day, he named the animals. He learned everything about God. He learned everything about himself. And God had a time of walking in communion with him, taking him in. He was in that eternal place, in that garden of perfection, living life. And then God began to work again. And man got cursed to work again. And when Jesus was attacked for breaking the Sabbath, you remember what he said? For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You see, Sabbath has always been a sign of this eternal day with mankind. It was a day of perfection. Look in Hebrews 4.4, because this is important. Hebrews 4.4. Here's what the author of Hebrews said about that day. For he said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. He's talking about rebellious people. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them, they failed to enter because of disobedience. But here's verse 7. But yet he again fixes a certain day. And that day, he says, is today. Saying through David after such a long time has been said before, today, 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 if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Listen to me. Sabbath is more than a day. It's a place. It's a place and it's a person. 
And Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He says, today you can enter into that rest, that rest that was before in the garden. God has fulfilled the work to get you back to that place. He's undone the curse fully and completely by becoming the curse for you. And guess what happens? He opens that seventh day door back again. And through Jesus, every time you abide in the vine, you find rest. Every time you take him in as that heavenly manna coming down, you find rest. Every time you unplug from the rat race of life and you breathe in seasons of refreshing from the Lord, Peter said, you find rest for your souls. You see, there was a curse, but there's a call. And that call came when the Lord of the Sabbath came down, fulfilled that curse, and he began to call you and said, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. Your, your yoke is hard and burdensome and it's heavy, but my work, my yoke, my way is light. Stop doing things by your own efforts and your own design and your own plans. Stop building your life with earthly things. Get rid of all that junk and come to me. You'll find rest, true heavenly rest. Listen, I can be in the McDonald's car line and have a Sabbath with God. I can be out there in the deer stand and have a Sabbath with God. I can come to church with you and have a Sabbath with God. You can go through your weary worst times in life. And Paul said, I can fellowship. Listen, I can fellowship with him in sufferings because he suffered for me. No matter where he goes, I have him. So I can rest always in the world. That's why Paul says, in the middle of a prison in Philippians, I can rejoice always again. I can rejoice in the Lord because I know Him. That day is open to me. Yes, there's an eternal day coming, but that eternal day of rest begins when you accept Jesus into your heart. You're no longer in the curse. Guess what? You get Sabbath again. Amen. You get Sabbath again. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. I hope you'll come to church every week. I hope you'll take a day off every week. I hope you'll give God your very best of every day. Let me tell you something. You can go through any season and place. I know you're going to go through work that's weary. I know you're going to still have thorns and thistles. We still live in here. We're still not home yet. We're going to go through seasons and times of death and loss and weariness and pain and toil and thorns and thistles. We're still going to gain weight. We're still going to lose our hair. Come on, somebody. Amen. Right? But you can rest. You can rest. You can abide in Christ. He is the true vine. All your source, your nutrients come from Him. And so in the moment of chaos of this world where I'm in a weary and barren land, like David, I can say, but yeah, I thirst for a brook. Just like the deer pants for the water, oh, my soul, it longs for Him. And guess what? I can find Him in that weary place. I can find Him in that barren land. Thorns and thistles are no longer. That was His curse. He took it from me. Now I get rest. I get rest. I don't know what you're going through this morning, but I want you to know Christ became your curse. He's come to this world to cultivate the thorny places of your heart and to give you rest. If you're willing to do life in Him the kingdom way. You see, you don't have to be a Christian. You can go through all this stuff in the world just like everybody else Christian, but you don't have to go through it the same way. You can go through those things with rest. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? Father, I pray this morning for every heavy-laden person, every weary person. I pray for those that are going through Christian life with works, trying to live up to and be good enough, Lord. But you've already paid the price for that.
You're calling them to rest in your work. Lord, I'm praying for those that are filling their life with busyness and schedules and to-do lists and hobbies and activities, but they're not resting every day in you. They're looking for things, Father, that will never satisfy. Lord, like that hamster wheel, it's spinning faster and faster, squeaking louder and louder. It's about to spin off. Their life's about to go to chaos and to divorce and, and depression and Lord, thoughts, Lord, of giving up and hopelessness. Lord, there's things that our, our families can be falling apart. You're calling us to come back to you to rest in you. Your heavenly Father, church, is calling you today. Son and daughter, would you rest in me? Would you abide in me? Would you wait on the Lord and renew your strength like the strength of the wings of the eagle? You'll renew it when you abide in him. There's a place where all the works of life become worship once again. Colossians says that everything that you do, whatsoever you do, do it as unto the Lord and no longer as unto men. God, I'm going to go through this painful season at my work, but I'm going to do it with worship. I'm going to do it in rest. God, I'm going to go through this trial and season in my family, and I know it's going to be painful, but God, I'm going to do it as worship. I'm going to do it with the attitude and the spirit of rest. God, I'm going to go through this health issue and this crisis. Lord, I know that you're taking me through it. And Lord, it may be painful and difficult. And I may feel weary, but I'm going to go through it with a season of rest. Knowing the work has been accomplished for me. I'm going to cease striving. I'm going to be still and know the Lord is God.